Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy, Irby, and Phoebe will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey y'all and welcome back to the Pulse Tech Podcast. I'm Hehe And I'm Mandy. And today we are diving into violence in the workplace. What do you do when it does happen? What happens when it is done by someone who is highly respected in your community? How do the hospital systems handle this? What can you expect as a healthcare worker if this were to happen to you? We're so excited to have on Amanda Western, who is an RN and an IVCLC from Louisiana with us today. Amanda, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. So I think that a great place for us to start would be to hear your background. What is your history in the hospital system? How well do you know the American hospital system? So I think, I feel like I know it pretty well. I was doing the math and I've been a registered nurse for 18 years now. When I was finishing my last year of nursing school, I went to paramedic school. So my introduction to the healthcare system was ER nursing in the hospital and then working on the ambulance. And I did that concurrently for about 10 years and then kept in the ER for a couple of years. Did some travel nursing and got burned out, just really burned out. There was just one shift in the ER where I just looked around and I was like, I no, I can't. And so I kind of lucked into this job at a freestanding birth center where I had had my third baby. And it was just, you know, they wanted someone who could handle emergency situations if they arose. And I was really liked birth. So I did that and uh, looked at where I wanted my career to go. I just thought, I don't like waking up in the middle of the night (laughs) and I love breastfeeding. So I became a board certified lactation consultant and was able to get a job in the hospital working as an Mm -hmm. IBCLC. And I started my own little private practice and had just been growing that for a while. And then recently this year, I've gone full-time with my private practice. And so it's been The first year in a very long time where I have not been working in a hospital. So this part is, is new. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks. That's huge. So when you reached out to me on Instagram, I probably pried and was like, I'll hear your story if you want to talk about it. And then I was like, 
I'm not affiliated with any medical system. <laughs> if you <laughs> want to talk about it, I'm here. And then I remember you did talk to me about yeah. it. Is that story something that you want to share? And is that why you wanted to come on the podcast? Yes. And that's what I love following you guys on social media because I don't feel like things are talked about, especially in the nursing world. When I was an ER nurse in Washington, DC, a patient assaulted me and I wanted to press charges. And the police mm-hmm. officer said, that's just a part of your job. And what? was like ticked oh. off. I wanted to, and it's part of like with staff members or with doctors, it's, yep. it's just like, that's just a part of your job and don't talk about it because you're going to get in trouble. And yeah. So the thing that I had shared with you was when I was working for a large hospital, I was going into work one day, I kind of made it into the elevator. There was a doctor already in there. And this was during COVID. It was during like the second wave when we were all like, all right, everybody's putting their masks back on and being really careful. Mm -hmm. And these two texts come running up and we're like, oh, I'm going to, we're going to, and it seemed like they knew each other. And so the doctor was like, no, you can't. And I'm sitting here like, why are you joking with stop it? I thought they were joking. He wasn't joking. He pushed past me, opened up the elevator door and literally pushed these two texts out of the elevator. And at that point, I'm shocked by what's happening. And I'm, well, I'm taking the stairs this morning. So yeah. I start to leave the elevator and he grabs my shoulder and yanks me back in and says, no, you can stay. So I made it up to the fourth floor and I told my immediate supervisor and she offered empathy and oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And so she asked me to tell her what happened and she typed it up in an email and sent it to the supervisors for our department. And they said, fill out, we, we called it like a, a lot of systems have something called an SOS form. So it's yeah. something on the computer you can fill out. So fill out an SOS. So I did that and I heard nothing. Like I was expecting HR is going to want to talk yeah. to me, something, somebody's going to want to talk to me about this, nothing. And so I mentioned it to my immediate supervisor. Uh, I think it was like a few weeks later. And I said, I never heard back. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear anything. What's the deal with that? And she said, well, I don't know. I'll talk to so-and-so who was her supervisor. And so her supervisor came and talked to me about it. And I think one of the things I had said was I was angry. And when I was talking to my immediate supervisor, I was just like, I just like to know like who in this hospital is allowed to put their hands on me because totally. I'm just going to stay away from them. Just, and she had repeated that comment to her supervisor. And so when I had a conversation, she said, Amanda, we think you're a little triggered by this. I know about your ex-husband because I had been in an abusive marriage and my immediate supervisor knew that. She said, we know know about your situation. Yeah. That they knew about my ex-husband and they felt like because I had been in an abusive marriage, I was basically just oversensitive. I was, Mm. I was just being triggered. And especially when I made the comments about, you know, I want to know who's allowed to touch me. They felt like, oh, you know, maybe you need some counseling. You know, our hospital has great benefits. Let me give you the number. They did not. Yeah, they did. They told me I needed to go to counseling, (laughs) but nothing came of it. And really nothing came of it until 
it just did the whole time I was there. Nobody wanted to talk to me about it. And how long was that? How long did you work there after this incident happened? Let's see. At least six months. That was at least six months before I left. It doesn't take that long to communicate in a hospital. Mm-hmm. It takes a nanosecond to send an email. Oh yeah. I mean, if I had had a patient complaint or if oh, hell yeah, I would had, be able to find your email then. <laughs> right. Imagine if I had touched a doctor. I would have been pulled aside. And I even mentioned that because I started talking to someone at HR before I was leaving because they asked me, I had put in my resignation and they wanted to set up exit interviews. And I had mentioned, it was like an online form. I'd mentioned that on there. And um, I just mentioned that this was never resolved and that I felt like if I had done that as a nurse, I would have been fired. And They didn't send me an email back. They called me on the phone and I regret talking on the phone because I have no proof of what was said. I made that comment about if I would have been fired if I had done that. And she said, yes, you would have. (gasps) I'm just going to interrupt right here in Virginia. It's a one party state and you can record your call, but do look up if you can record it on your work property. If you have to disclose, look all that up. Uh, should be on the internet. I should have because my state is a one-party state as well. Now, the tricky thing is sometimes when you agree to be employed by certain facilities, that'll be in the fine print when you're an employee that you are agreeing never to record anybody you work with. And it's Um, hard to record a phone call. You get a phone call. Like I have lost like, what would I do? If I were in my car, I would have no way of doing it. Like, I'm not saying you should have done it, but this has come up before. And I think that we should just all do the work and figure out how to record because no um, one seems to believe nurses. No. We're the most trustworthy profession <laughs> in the U.S., but no one believes a damn word we say. And I, they, what's that called? When you tell on yourself. They said that you would have been fired, but they didn't do anything. Did she even know of that, of that event? No, no about the event. So apparently they felt it was handled well, and then acted outraged, said, oh, I cannot, oh, I'll look into that. That's awful. He got back to me right before I left and said, oh, well, they looked into it. And we cannot tell you what happened because if you did something wrong, well, you wouldn't want us telling people what happened, would you? Of course, that's confidential. Made it seem like I was being petty or trying to invade someone's privacy, or I was just being vengeful. It's so much how nurses are put, you know, just be nice. You're not being nice. Used HIPAA on you, the HIPAA fear, the like privacy, same thing. Like when you say privacy, we all think HIPAA. They use the HIPAA fear on you. They use the be kind insinuation. They used the, this is above your pay grade, Mm -hmm. it stops here. And then it sounds like they lied because I don't think someone's work reprimand that has direct ties to your information and your being hurt is protected at all. Like if you were hurt, then there should be some accountability as to what did happen so that you can make a choice to stay there or to not stay there regarding your own safety. I don't believe that that is, and I wrote it down and I'll look it up. And if our listeners know, I'd love to hear, I don't believe that that's protected for confidentiality. I think it's 
pulled out of her ass and totally made up. They didn't give you any resolution as the victim. It's not like you were prying in someone else's information directly impacted your safety at work. Mm. And then they never were able to give you any sort of resolution on that. That is what I find so bizarre. They tried to pass it off as, well, you're trying to get information on someone uh that you don't need, but OSHA would say that you do need that information to determine if you are going into a safe work environment, which you have a right to as an employee. And and it's not like they didn't know about this position. It was well known that he had, he's, well, he's got a temper. Um, no one so, said that to you. Oh yeah. People said that to me when I talked in the break room. Well, which doctor did that doctor? Oh yeah. I can see that. Him, right. He didn't work in the department I worked in, but you know, as lactation, I'd go to all areas of the hospital. And so it was well known that like, you don't bother him. You don't, you knew him. his name. Oh yeah. Did I you knew. look up why he was being protected other than he's a physician and he's been there a long time and he has rage problems. I think he'd been there for a long time. So very experienced. And I don't think that he was easily replaced. Meanwhile, why is he not easily replaced? You (laughs) sure are. Right. So (laughs) I'm easily replaced. He's not, but you know, it's just kind of, people would say, I don't even want to send him a secure chat because he's so rude back. I mean, I feel like that should be addressed. Right. You shouldn't have a provider that right. nurses are afraid to talk to. Because... You had red flags before he put his hands on you. Like everyone had red flags, a trail that could have been prevented. So I really think that there were complaints and that they were just trying to bury the complaints. Wow. I really think that it was, it was probably, there was probably a paper trail and they just wanted to brush that aside. Oh, I'm so sorry. I just don't understand why he's so irreplaceable for every day that he had patient care practice or experience. It seems like he simultaneously had practice in abusing people around him, not even people who directly worked for him, like people in other areas of the hospital. This guy seems a little cancerous to the hospital culture. So I'm Mm -hmm. so confused as to why a hospital system would put so much weight into the simple fact of, well, he's been here for a long time. Okay. That means you've not been doing very good at protecting your people for a long time. Like I wouldn't say that too loudly. That's not a good reflection on you. I agree. And my first introduction to this hospital system, when I first moved to the area, I did some contract work there. My oldest was a baby. I just did like one or two days a week in the ER. And we had a doctor who actually worked with this guy, (laughs) same department who came down into the ER and was mad about the ER physicians. They had written orders for holding a patient until we could get a room. And this physician was upset about, well, why are we not doing this, this, and this? And um, I was used to working on the East Coast and speaking frankly and said, well, this is the physician who wrote those orders. This is where you can see what I have done. I am actually going off shift in 10 minutes as soon as I give report. This is the nurse who will be taking over. And this doctor like yelled at me in the middle of the nurse's station and told me basically what a horrible work ethic you must have if you just don't care about your patients after you're going home and just went off. 
And I said, well, okay, that's fantastic. I don't have to take this. You can discuss this with the manager. And I walked in and that made him mad. And the manager came to me later and said, he'll probably send you flowers next week. He just does this. So usually he'll apologize. You'll get some flowers at your desk next week. Did he? Well, and I told them that until he apologized, I didn't. And then I ended up, I worked for EMS in the area and I brought a patient on the ambulance to that ER and then the, she was coming, the, the house soup who I had spoken to, she uh-huh. came down. She's like, Hey, Dr. So-and-so doesn't work here anymore. You want to go pick up some shifts? Can you just for a second, like pretend that we don't work in healthcare? If this were to happen at like, where, where, where's another place that people work tech? I can't imagine it as a woman that this like never happens. This shit like goes totally checked and everything's like, it's still fiasco after fiasco. And that's worse for folks of color and indigenous folks and folks with disabilities and still let's imagine a man gets told you'll probably get flowers after this yeah he just does that sometimes Mm -hmm. the person in a position to enact change and put the hammer down and just be like look brandon that's enough. You're fired. I told you 16 times. If this continues, you can't keep sending people apology letters and flowers and passive aggressively bypassing apologies and being professionally safe in this environment. You are done. No, that instead that person says, if you could just forget about this and take the flowers as a sincere professional way, not like professional, like professional, like we're all under OSHA to go to work and have rights about employee Mm -hmm. safety, that kind of professional, like this is my job, not my choice. Not like, I don't, I I would never talk to you even if we were blood related type thing. Like I am being forced to be in your air, but not you and not for very long, which I find (laughs) great and empowering (laughs) and really amazing. I was happy that I was in a position to do that. And yeah. I just, you know, imagine if I wasn't in a position and, you know, I stayed at that hospital for a while because I was not in a position to make any changes to that for a while until it just came down to other things building up. But that's the culture. Yeah. And- that's the culture. So many people have accepted those apology mm-hmm. flowers. No yes. apology ever. Right. I also did. That's the culture as a very new nurse. I had a physician scream and yell at me and slam the desk or something where it was like a physical threat, threatening behavior. He raised his voice. He did it in front of other people. He stood up. He was talking to me like a abusive father type, like we're done with this conversation type stuff. And then later he was like, oh yeah, we're fine. Right. And I stayed at that job. It's the culture and no one else around you says, we don't have to take this shit. Right. So I hope that other folks are listening and they're like, oh, wow, that person left a job over something so seemingly part of culture 
left two jobs. So seemingly part of a unit culture where someone touched your shoulder and pulled you into a room. And the other one was someone disrespected you and screamed at you and belittled you period Yeah. at work as right. part of the job. Those two things are so benign as part of that culture. When I think of like, what if I were like, I don't know, in the C-suite, in a high up big office with lots of windows and someone comes and like shoves me, shit would happen. You'd make stuff happen. But it's just so acceptable as part of the culture that to me, it seems like I think a lot of people would hear this and be like, wow, like I have to really look back and think how many times have I just like, has that happened to me or have I seen that? Or have I said, well, what did you do? Or, well, you know, did you have a workers comp? Like, are you okay? Because that's the culture is to kind of hush that person up. The whole staff Mm -hmm. can do it just so easily by just saying a few things like that, which you're told, don't talk about this. This is the abuse that I should take if I work here. I think that's part of the normalization though, right? Is that it's normalized because no one's talking about it because you maybe don't believe your coworker when they say that the story transpired like that, or you did see something go down, but you're too afraid to say it yourself. And so it just gets normalized. And I don't know that it is normalized as in like, we are all accepting, well, this is totally fine. I actually think everyone recognizes it's a huge problem, but it's normalized to the fact of, well, what can we do about it? This is just how it is. I've reported something. I know like a police officer said, it's kind of part of the job, but like, it's not, you should never have a job where your safety is risk like that. You should never be at a job where you're feeling abused and unsafe, especially in a place like a hospital where we traditionally think about it as representing safety. That's what was interesting was when I was a paramedic and I worked in the field and I I knew the police officers and we worked together, none of them would tolerate a patient back talking or raising a hand to me. Like it was immediately, you will behave with the paramedic. But when I put on my scrubs and I was in the hospital, it was, well, it's just a part of your job. When I worked at the pizza shop, I remember people, mostly men, because I was young and there weren't that many girls at the pizza shop. I was like, I'm done babysitting. I'm going to flip pizzas. And I rode my bike to the pizza shop and they would like, tell me I couldn't do certain things because of safety. They were like, you are barely tall enough to reach these things. Obviously they were made for men. I'm the same height as I was. And (laughs) It was hard. The things were big and it was hard. And I said, no, I think I can physically do it. And they said, yeah, but you might burn yourself like your shirt. We couldn't see your shirt. And they were like concerned with safety to a degree that I've never felt. Like you said, with your team, like, like your friends slipping on blood, getting like stuck by a needle. Those things are very different safety concerns when people are like, oh my God, go get dressed, like go change. You've got stuff in your pocket on your face. Like, (gasps) you've got kids. (laughs) We love you. We don't want you to get an STI from work. All these things that they like mother you. But when it comes to the person with a rage issue, like no one's going to stand up for you. Right. So weird. What a weird, weird, weird dynamic that is. It's reflected in patient care. I 
think? Do you think? In what way? I think so too. Yeah. Well, for me, I see that as, you know, with patient care, ultimately, like that's putting your patients at risk. If I'm afraid to talk to your physician who just did this emergent procedure on you, Mm. and I'm worried about maybe some things, but I'm afraid to talk to them. Because you're going to find the blood clot. And you're going to hear the heart problem. You're going to see the changes. That's the point of the nurse being at the bedside. The people who order the tests and Mm -hmm. write the lab orders, if they don't want to hear it and they like act like they're going to come at you for bugging them at the end of their shift when they want to be doing blah, 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 or whatever. There's people with rage issues. It's not like, that's who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like everyone. Right. There are physicians that are my friends, right? And I text them like like mm-hmm. butt emojis. They know they've <laughs> never threatened me. It's not exactly. inherent in that. I think it is right. protected in that space. And folks with rage issues seamlessly go into those positions of power where they are revered by society. They are revered by the bottom line, which is money. They bring in an amount of money that garners this reverence. They are treated above the law. And there are people who harm systematically, both regularly, consistently, (laughs) and on purpose in the medical field, especially in that physician, surgeon, provider role. So that's why I speak to that specifically, because they also have a higher risk of higher incidence of these like non-healthy pattern outbursts. Right. And those could be other things. It could be like alcoholism, right? Non-healthy coping mechanisms and also communication techniques. And they are not held to a standard of performing within the team in the same way that the rest of the team is. And so it's this sickness that is it the chicken or the egg we've created monsters. Yeah. Yeah. It's too big now. It's a runaway train, right? I mean, I have a question. This Mm -hmm. provider that did this to you, what was his community reputation? Well, he was kind of, he was the type of doctor that you don't get to really choose. It's you show up and you're having an issue. He worked in surgery. Surgery or ED. That was my first guess and my second guess. Oh, Oh, the only person who can operate on my large intestine. Great. So it was kind of like you come into the ER and and you have to have this done. You just got to find this guy. So he didn't have like a big public space. So some um, of them will, they'll have this, yeah. like, oh, I came to see Dr. Sanctuary yes. and he's, he's going to solve to all my problems yes. or sorry, Dr. Benjamin's the only one here that can do it, but we're going to hold on to him because we can say that we offer this service. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that's what you were saying with the, the culture and the way that it affects patient care. I still remember my, my oldest is 15 and I still remember his birth. The doctor who showed did. up did not have a good reputation with the nurses. The nurse that was working with me was so scared, like she was shaking. And I just, I can recall this later, but there was a point where she was like, well, where's the heartbeat? We can't hear the heartbeat. And he had a heartbeat. It was just need to move the monitor. So she's like, well, hold it there. And I took it from the nurse and I held it myself because I didn't want the nurse to get yelled at anymore. But it was like, so uncomfortable. I mean, it really affects things. And I remember that 15 years later, what do these patients remember later? Oh my God. Yeah. Especially in birth, they'll come out and be like, I don't know who the hell that was, but the energy changed. They are like (laughs) energy readers when they are in labor. 
Oh, I know. That's why there's certain providers where I'm like, oh, I'm so happy you're going to be with this provider. He treats the staff so well. You're just going to be doted. (laughs) It's like in a family, the abusive partner will say, mom, this time, because it doesn't run truly along gender, gender lines or identity lines, but an abusive wife is not, not an abusive mom. Right. Like they treat their staff like shit. You aren't protected if you are their patient. If they think so low of the people that work with them, their colleagues who aren't subordinates, either PS (laughs) physicians that did those things to you. We don't work for them. PS, which is like, (laughs) thanks to the movies. Everyone thinks that we don't, we work for the hospital. We all work for the same person or the same company. And sometimes even different companies altogether. And you think that they think I'm a piece of shit and they're going to trust the patient's word or they're going to prioritize the patient's suggestions. Right. No, 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 they don't. I know I do. And I, I don't know if it's, I mean, I feel like I ran into this everywhere. I worked. I started out in California. I worked in DC and in Richmond and I'm in Louisiana now. And I feel like it's a little, a little bit worse down here. I don't know if it's just because I've been here a little longer, but I think it's still in other places, but it's also the culture of the area, I think plays into that too. Just this idea that physicians are end all be all like God like creatures, right? So I grew up in Mississippi and that was a learning curve for me when I left the South. And as I got deeper into birth work, I started to truly see obviously the cracks in the healthcare system. And this is why Mandy and I wanted to start this podcast. And it's also why I asked about that community reputation. So I'm in Boston now, but we have a couple of hospitals here who have wonderful community reputations. The community flocks to these hospitals to have their babies. But when you're on the inside of these hospitals, you know that nobody will fuck you up more than those two hospitals that people just die to birth at. And it is one of the most disheartening parts of healthcare is how an inside reputation can be so soiled and your outside reputation is nowhere near the truth. I think Mm -hmm. the same thing can be said about physicians. Physicians that are the most abusive in practice can be the most, you know, sought after within the community. Totally. Community leaders. Well, if you're leading a problematic community, (laughs) then the writing's on the wall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, actually. (laughs) Right. Like who's, (laughs) who's the one following? Is it your super racist, sexist church that you're the leader of? Like, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of an example in my, that's just one, but it's very specific, very niche, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, they're like, oh my God, these leader in the church. I'm like, oh, the lead abuser at your local hospital. Congratulations. <laughs> and there it's even more like, you don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's like even- perfect storms right there for them. Well, I think it's why we see them overlap so easily. They are used to this control and making everyone quiet in one sector of their life. And so why not replicate it in somewhere else? And in this sector, I get to be a hero and I get paid mega bucks. And 
Right. I just get all this. I get all this authority. People respect me automatically. I could say the most ludicrous thing. And because I'm a physician, it's true. We yeah. saw that in the pandemic, right? Just because you had doctor behind your name, people would leave anything out of your mouth. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. And even just like the more alternative, I have four kids. And so my first, I feel like that was the most, <laughs> that was a big traumatic event. But then like with my third and my fourth, I had some, some really hard experiences, but it was at this, it was like this alternative. And it was this place in the community that, oh, every, it's all rainbows and sunshine. And we're so happy we have this place because if you go to this hospital, you're going to get a C-section and this mm. is saving us from that. But I can't talk about the fact that my provider freaked out and was scared. And I can't talk about the fact that I literally gave birth to my fourth child by myself. Everyone was like, just in the other room with this other person. So it's kind of that protected. The, the ones I think that part is equally as scary for me is that, oh, well, I'm giving birth at this alternative place. And well, I mean, things happen there too, but that's almost even more hush hush. You don't talk about that place because if you talk bad about that, then then what will happen? What happens if something happens to that place? Then you've taken away that opportunity for right. everybody in the community, right? So you need to just keep quiet. Gaslighting of the abused victims where people say you're ruining their reputation. Like, no, they did that. Yeah. So yeah, that so feels very powerful. The gaslighting, the, the like staying quiet and forced being quiet to protect that community centers reputation or expectation everybody expects a certain thing just like similarly maybe folks would choose a female provider over male provider being like right I've been victimized by men in my past so I'm going to choose a female provider same as like I'm going to go with outpatient whoa 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 there's no when people ask he he and me I know she says the same thing. People are like, should I just go with this other place? I'm like, no, right. there's no safe place unless you go and figure out if it feels safe for you. And then you really don't know until you have that full experience. Unfortunately, you have to be ready for all sorts of scenarios, which is victim blaming, which is not okay, which we shouldn't have to do. Right. I'm not <laughs> right. qualifying any of it. it yeah. You should have had a stellar experience at both places, period. Yeah, I agree. It's hard because it feels like we really, we have to do this, this thing where it's like, you have to have an advocate, you have to yeah. have a witness, you, you know, yeah. and it's just like recording our phone calls with our own HR department, right? the stuff we've even just talked about. Exactly. And it just, it feels like that in healthcare and just in all these different spaces where, you know, well, but are you sure it wasn't your fault? Are you sure you didn't say something? You're kind of mouthy. Right. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) We know your personal history, totally separate from your job and your career and your professional life. How inappropriate was that? I also cannot stop thinking about the fact no one mentioned, or maybe they did, but so far in this story, nobody has mentioned the fact that a strange man, yes, you knew of him, but you did not work with him, physically put his hands on you, 
brought you into his space, kept you there, and you were forced to ride several floors of an elevator, not knowing if you were physically in danger, sexually in danger, if he was going to verbally lash out at you. And I know there are definitely people out there being like, all right, that's a bit extreme, but is it? Is it that strange person who we do not work together all the time felt okay physically coming into my space and touching my body and pulling me back onto an elevator when I, as an adult, had made the conscious decision to get off that elevator? That is something you do to a child. Yeah. You can't escape the elevator. And that's how I think, that's how I honestly think that some look at us, you know, at nurses is... I'm in charge. I'm your boss. I'm, you know, it's like, like bosses don't do that. No, no, they shouldn't. No. And like a parent hopefully would be like, Hey, I I have to actually put my hands on you and bring you into the elevator. We will talk about it in a second. Hey, this is what's going on. I put my hands on you. I brought you into the elevator. It's for safety. Do you know where the elevator is? Do you know, it's hanging from cables. Do you know if I lose you on the other floor, I won't be able to get back to you. Parents and bosses, yes, they are an authority figure, but they still, that behavior is still totally uncalled for and inappropriate ever. Honestly, if I had to do it again, I would have called the police because if someone had done that to me in a mall or, you know, I would have called the police. Even like a friend's partner, like pulls you into a room and locks the door. You're scary. And I'm not and saying I would call the police because I can imagine the police being like, really, oh, yeah. really? Oh, he put you in an elevator? Oh, I'm, I'm 100% sure it would not have been taken seriously. 100% <laughs> because the security at the hospital would have responded first. And yes. the security at this hospital system is armed. So they carry guns. They would have, I am 100% sure they would have tried to talk me out of keeping the police coming, but I would have done it. And I would have let them gaslight me through it, but it would have created a paper trail. They would have had to write a report. And so I think that's why I would have done it because now we have it on paper. And even if it's not going to go anywhere, now this is something that is outside of this hospital system. It's on paper. It's a report made. I'm honestly very, I don't know who those other two people were. I am very doubtful that they reported it. I don't think they did. They seemed like they worked with him in some capacity. So, because it seemed like they knew it. So they're used to it. This is a great segue to sharing what you would want others to know. And I think discussing the severity of this within this work environment, within specifically healthcare environment, specifically nurses and adjacent specialties and staff and physicians and upper level staff. You talked about management also. The fact that manager levels were called in was punitive to you and totally another mishandled event. He should have been seeing multiple management levels, not you. Like the fact that they did that to you was like so obvious to me sitting out here when you're telling the story of like, oh, yep, 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 yep. That is meant to scare her. That is meant to, because it is always used as like, oh, Oh, oh my God. Do you know who that is? That's like so-and-so that's like above us, like three managers above us. Like that's supposed to be some sort of weird thing. Like they don't use the same toilet paper. Right. They do. And they're also problematic, but in other ways, like if this is happening, you're problematic as well as this whole situation on the ground level is problematic. Advocating for the severity of these situations 
and what it teaches consumers and also other healthcare professionals about the goings on, like these stories of what goes on in the mistreatment of staff is important to hear. What have you learned from it or what would you tell others? I would tell people to advocate for themselves and I would probably try and burst the bubble that HR is there to help you because that's not been my experience in all of these years working. HR does not work for me. They work for the system and they are not there to protect me. They're there to protect the system. And the easiest way to protect the system is to tell the little people to be quiet. And so I think it's important to create paper trails. That's probably the biggest advice I would give. Create those paper trails. If it's legal to record things, then record things. If it's not, then avoid discussing things verbally. If you can have somebody come with you, have somebody come with you as a witness. They're less likely to intimidate you probably if you have a witness with you. And I would say anytime someone puts their hands on you and it's not treated appropriately, I would involve outside agencies. I'm thinking like if I have, so my youngest is a girl and she thinks I hold babies all day. That's partially true. My job is really awesome and I get to hold a lot of babies. And so she wants to do my job. Uh Thinking of what I would tell her if she got into healthcare is I would want her to document everything. Everything's in writing. And if somebody touched her, (laughs) we're involving other agencies. We're not keeping it. But for me, I can speak out on this big health organization. I've had some difficulties with a smaller alternative center. And professionally, I still have to keep very quiet about that, you know, because they can harm my practice. So would it be worth it? So I almost feel like a hypocrite there because I feel like I should speak out about some of the experiences I've had there. But I also have four kids and I like to feed them. You kind of are stuck in that balance. And I think that's the hardest part. I think of like, what would I tell my daughter? (laughs) Yeah. Advocacy doesn't mean busting all of your boundaries and it doesn't mean that you're going to be protected and all the right things are going to happen. Imagine if you had any of those other complicating factors that are, that are compounded by intersections, right? Exactly. I don't know how you identify fully. I can see that we as mostly white people or at least white passing people can't say you should call the police every time that things happen. Right. Right. Exactly. That is not safe for everybody to do. It's and that's exactly safe. true. So we have to instead find that there are going to be barriers to the things that we would want to do in a perfect world. And that we still can support each other in those advocacy ways. So when you go into somebody's space and they're crying and you're like, oh my God, nipple pain. And they're like, no birth trauma from that effing birth center. And you're like, I believe you. What can we do together? How can I hold your hand through? Do you want to go through the reporting process? I'm here with you. Do you want me to help you edit the letter that like, do you want me to type while you talk? Other ways that we can advocate for each other that are safer still are powerful and move the community in a safer direction instead of going to the news or going to the police. Right. Journals, right? Oh. You have to feed your kids and they do retaliate. And we have hundreds of examples of that just in the last year in the news of retaliation. They'll take your ass to jail before they'll ever make shit for nurses and consumers. So truly we do have to center our safety and then yes. go from there. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part too. And that's what I I hope that I get across as a parent is 
like I want my kids to look out for each other and at the very least to be able to support and believe each other. And I think that's hard with nurses. It's almost like, oh, you're talking about things that you could get targeted for. And bring me down with you. But that's the severity of it. And I think doing it safely on the internet has Mm -hmm. been our first step. That started like 10 (laughs) years ago. I talked to the, the developer of the large labor and delivery nurses Facebook group. And she was like, yeah, it's been a labor of love 14 years. I was like, okay, well, (laughs) I still feel like it's a new thing because it is kind of like new that we're sharing this information with each other, but it is powerful that we can practice advocating as a whole unit, as a nursing profession so that we can practice advocating for others when we're in the same space. I'm deep in the research today. I've like full printed new articles, old articles. It's been one of those days today. And I want to, in the future on here, discuss the bystander phenomenon. It's really cool. I mean, not cool. Like people have been hurt in insufferable ways, like within close-knit groups within large public places like it's nutty so I think that is to say yes we can do things on the internet we can like share stories and uncover it like that's gaslighting that was coercion that was manipulation that was lying that was all these things I can identify these because we all have these lived experiences right and let's identify them and be like oh my god it's way worse than I ever thought not only are you protecting him you're quieting me and I'm an advocate this is my whole being this is who I am my core is I'm a parent and I'm a patient advocate addressing it as it is what it is super powerful, but that is not the same action that we can actually psychologically do sometimes in certain spaces. And it's really interesting to know it's not an excuse it's information so that we can be more intentional about our actions when we're in spaces with others. So that Someone saw that happen on on the elevator. Oh, yeah. Like, where are those fuckers? Right? But, you know, <laughs> y'all have to prioritize their own safety. They did not feel safe in doing that. And then also, yeah. my student, like, they saw a white physician man, right? Like, there are certain criteria that, that he was in a, you know, his yes. gear, right? You were in your mm-hmm. gear. You probably knew each other. There's all these stories going on that people are right. like, that person's fine. They didn't run up the steps to try to find you. Right. And I'm not like a tiny person and it was probably, oh, well, that's fine. It's no big deal. Thank you for this conversation, Amanda. But I like being able to name it. Like name it. That's yeah. What you were talking about, you know, that's gaslighting, that's coercion, that like, that was what got me in, in my marriage was I read the book. It was Lundy Bancroft. Yes. Why, why he does what he does or why he does yeah. it to you or what is that? Yeah. Why does he do that? Some, mm-hmm. And it was, and I read that someone's like, you need to just read this book. And it was so different from all of the others. Just be nicer. Have more um, sex and go to a counselor. Yeah. And it was like, this is what this is. And it was like naming thing. Oh my gosh, this is not unique. And I think that helped. That's mm-hmm. one of the first steps. And for us too, waking that up and saying, this is happening all over the place. This is what that behavior is called. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. And it isn't supposed to, because it's wrong. Okay. Well, next episode with Amanda, we're going to dig into 
parallels between abusive intimate partner violence and healthcare workspaces. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I'm recruiting everyone to have this conversation with me until we can get our book outlined because it's real. It oh, really? So yeah. you've already been kind of looking at that intersection? Yeah. I will share with you some of the graphics that I'm like trying to map out in my head. And I have other people who have looked at them and they're like, it's so close. So yeah, I'll send them to you. I would love that. Because yeah, right? isn't that powerful? Yes. <laughs> Makes you feel a little less alone. I think you're less alone than you and I can even wrap our heads around. Yeah. I think we've been groomed. Oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So I hear you, Amanda, and I thank you for sharing your story that you shared with us, <laughs> your experience and your learning. And I think that you are powerful for leaving in places when you needed to leave. And I know it wasn't easy. Yeah. And I think that helps to hear that. And it helps to hear that you set boundaries for yourself that no one else has to deal with, but you, and the same would be for our kids, our besties, our cousins, right? If we see that happening to them, we would be like, mm. then it happens to us. And we're like, oh, I need this job. So I appreciate that. And I think the more that people hear it, the more powerful it is, and they can integrate it into their own story, however they need to. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Amanda. We will see you on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. And thank you so much for listening. We would appreciate a five-star review. It helps others hear our podcast and helps other healthcare and consumers understand what's going on behind the closed doors and the halls of healthcare. See you on Instagram and also see you next week. Bye. Y'all. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.